Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. Hi, listeners. Don't know about you all, but my email inbox has been full of 2021 predictions the last couple of weeks. I'm aware you didn't receive one from me yet, so I thought I'd pick up on a couple of trending aspects and share with you my thoughts. Let's start with the case against the societal harm brought about by social media in 2020, mainly around disinformation, privacy and addiction. It seems that social media platforms have been demonized more than ever this past year, but I don't personally buy into that entirely. My evolving view in the past year has been that I don't mind giving my data away in exchange for targeted ads. In fact, it helps me stay in the know of things I find relevant, and these platforms in general allow me to stay in touch with my friends. I'd also be curious to see if antitrust movements against big tech companies will actually result in spin-offs and merger blocks. A world where Facebook has to sell Instagram and or WhatsApp this year? Today I read that Facebook is making WhatsApp users consent to sharing data, otherwise they'd lose access as of Feb 2021. Well, that is for everyone outside the EU because they after all have GDPR protecting them. And on a totally separate note, what has been up with Bitcoin over the past few weeks? It seems the cryptocurrency has been through a crazy rally over the new year period, which for the life of me, I can't fathom. In a country where investing in crypto is still taboo, the United Arab Emirates, from a regulatory point of view, I suppose I'm still hesitant to consider it a real currency. Sometimes I wonder if I'm simply not hip enough when it comes to investing. Now, onto a more noble cause. In our latest episode, I sit down with Mohamed Lawafi to discuss how he is bringing 3D printing technology as well as VR and gamification to healthcare. Mohamed has set up his company Cure Bionics based out of Tunis, through which he builds bionic prosthetics and therapeutic solutions using all of these technologies. Mohamed's a very impressive guy. He is a 2020 Forbes Middle East 30 under 30, a 2020 MIT Technology Review 35 under 35 innovator, and 2019 Obama Foundation Africa leader. Super impressive, right? And on top of it all, he started his business off from scratch. Together, we sit down to discuss how to launch a hardware-based product from MVP to market. Mohammed, by the way, comes from an engineering background, so it's quite interesting to hear how as an engineer, he had to set up his business without a background in business. And then we move on to 3D printing, VR, and gamification applications in the prosthetic markets. And then we discuss distribution models to scale hardware-based businesses. And then we dab a little bit into other industries that are using 3D printing. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. And without further ado, let's jump straight to it. So, Mohammed, I must say, I very, very rarely come across super technical Arabs. So, I first want to know how you got into what it is that you're doing at Cure Bionics, particularly how did you come to learn about the tech required? to do what it is you're doing, the VR, 3D printing and whatnot? Uh, I remember one of, one of the days I, uh, I participated in a challenge and it was like, I found like an application. I just applied. It was like between my university and a business university in the same city. So it was like a mixed team to solve some of the current uh, urgent issues globally. So the idea was uh, developing an online marketplace for medical products. And we've been brainstorming on the products we can include. And one of my team members at that time said, we can also add prosthetics. Uh, my cousin was born with no hands and 
she doesn't have prosthetics till now. She's, she's like 14 years old at that time. So that was the first time in my life that I hear about prosthetics and about people who lost their limbs. So I told him, like, why doesn't she have prosthetics till now? He said, like, uh, she's growing up. Uh, so uh, her morphology is changing and she needs a new prosthetic every two years. So three years, sorry. So her parents will wait till she reaches the age of 20 to buy her the first prosthetics ever. Is that because it's expensive? First, because it's expensive. Yeah. And second, because his morphology is changing. So every two years, she'll be buying a new prosthetic for two hands. But if the price point was affordable, then so what? It's kind of like buying clothes, right? You, you, it's something you have to buy. Even if it's affordable, like we're talking about $4,000, five. It's like the prices we are trying to, to reach now from 2000, 3000. But the cheapest ones were like seven, eight thousand US dollars. Even that wasn't affordable for most of the, the families in developed, developing countries. So we said, like, why don't we create the prosthetic instead of creating a platform to include products that most of them are not available or very expensive? So we've been trying to solve that problem. Mohammed, I'm, I'm curious. You, as a young student, started venturing into effectively manufacturing prosthetics. Now, huge companies like Johnson's and Johnson's spend millions in R&D to develop prosthetics. How are you as a student able to have the knowledge required to build it? Even if it's something like an MVP or something simple and not as developed, let's say to bring the cost point lower. I'm baffled at how it came about you to put this together. Actually, when, when I started first, we didn't think about that. We, we think as engineers, whenever like there's an engineer, he thinks that he can solve everything. So we, I mainly didn't think too much when I started with my friends. So we started uh, like building and prototyping step by step. At first, it was a very simple mechanical design with no electronics, with no batteries. It was very simple. And then when I, when I had it in my graduation, I was thinking the same, asking the same question that you ask me now, how am I going to do all of this? I was having just like an image of a prosthetic in my board, in my room, because I was supervising myself with no professional supervisor. And I was saying, where, from where I'm going to start doing all of this thing? Is the industry of prosthetic development regulated in Tunis? Actually, no. And that's another thing that a funny fact. So uh, uh, the fact that the country or in Tunisia, there is no any manufacturer. And even in the region where I'm talking about Africa and Middle East, no one is building this. So the, 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 the governments are not uh, preparing or are not creating any laws to regulate that. So no one is doing that. So why there is a law for that? Did that work in your favor, though? Because then it allowed you a blank canvas to design and test and build. Actually, I, uh, it was at first, it was very difficult, but, uh, but then I went to some uh, governmental organizations or like medical institutions, like part of the government that were just importing prosthetics and fitting uh, users with them. I was trying to learn from what they have, got some sensors from them, the broken ones. I tried to fix it and I was like doing some reverse engineering, like trying to learn the components, trying to test small parts of the prosthetics. And then uh, I, 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 I assembled the whole thing together. I also 
acted as an entrepreneur when I was studying. So I wasn't thinking about doing all of that thing by myself. So I was having friends around me. I was, I was having that ability to ask for help. I didn't feel that uh, I'm an engineer. I need to do everything on myself. Um, uh, I want to challenge. No, it was just about fixing a problem. So I overcame that, that limit of selfishness. It's like, a, it's not a personal challenge in the end of the day. It's something that, that is beyond the, yourself. There is millions in the world needing, in need for such devices. And you want to do something to help them have a better life, to, ha- to help them overcome their limits. And I finished the graduation project with the best grade in my university and with a working prototype. It was not a perfect one, but it was functional. So I remember putting that in a, like someone used that and it was functioning. It was not very comfortable. It was not very having a beautiful design. It was an ugly prototype, but it was an ugly and functional prototype. I think it's absolutely wonderful that you're saying it doesn't matter that it was not perfect, but it was functional. Because often when I speak to entrepreneurs, they get very caught up in having to build the perfect product before they take it to market. And I need to remind them, have an MVP, have something with minimal features that you can get out into the market to test. I want to fast forward to the technology you use to build the prosthetic arms. How do you build them? What is the technology that you use as an engineer? So as I was talking, uh, the prosthetics development includes three levels, coding, electronics, and mechanicals. So we are using like computer design then and 3D scanning to have like the, the, the residual limb and try to build some good design. Then we use the 3D printing to have the, the hardware. Uh, we are using some muscle sensors called electromyographic sensors to, to get the, the, the signals from the muscles and to use them to control the, the artificial hand. Also, we are using artificial intelligence to train the hand on recognizing the, let's say, the muscle signals, what exactly refers to, independently from the person. So if I wear this prosthetic, it will learn from my body and from my signals and recognize that contracting the hand, opening the hand, having small taps, etc. If someone else is using that and without Without the need of a doctor or an engineer, it will also fit with their body and their muscle signals. So we are having like multiple technologies, as I said, 3D printing, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, also a lot of sensors. So uh, that's about the the prosthetic itself. Concerning the, the physical therapy, so the idea is about having let's say, a virtual therapy solution. So the users who are missing one hand or two hands will go to a virtual world using the VR headset, can see a virtual hand, can move it and control it thanks to muscle sensors. And instead of just doing some, let's say, uh, basic actions, they will be playing games that simulate the same actions in a very innovative way. We, For example, we had some several games and one of them was inspired by Spider-Man. So by opening and closing the hand, they will be doing the same thing like Spider-Man. They will be jumping from a building to another, having all the, 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 the adventures, let's say, environment, all that adrenaline, and they will be feeling as a superhero. And that's our vision. We don't want people to feel pity 
for those with limb differences because we believe they are superheroes. So during the game, they will they will be feeling as superheroes. They can connect with the prosthetic because even in the games or in this therapy, we don't give them hands that looks like human hands because we want them to know that they, they will be having robotic hands at the end of the day. And they need to connect with it. They need to accept it. And they need to be proud of exposing that. So by doing that therapy, they will be doing the training, but also the, 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 the therapy psychologically and physically. And the doctor can do the follow-up at home, like from his office on a real time and in an online way without the need for the user to go each time. We're talking about more than 10 to 15 sessions going to the doctor each time for half an hour, for one hour with all the stress. If you don't know, each time they give them some sensors in their residual limb and they ask them to imagine opening and closing a hand that doesn't exist. So Mohammed, I'm curious, would the user of a prosthetic arm own his or her own VR set or are these VR sets shared when they go to physiotherapy? So the idea with this project, actually we are still doing medical or like medical trials. So the idea is the, the user should go at first to the doctor in the first or two first sessions to, to get his data, to learn in what stage he is, if he was born with this physical uh, differences or if he had an accident and he was traumatized. So the doctor needs to identify the needs of therapy then he will be teaching them or showing them how to use that. So we'll be equipping doctors with these devices and users will take it for the several sessions. It's like just having, uh, like for let's say 10 sessions, you will go to the first session, learn how to use it, get it, take it home for, I don't know, the duration of the therapy, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And the cost will be always less than having all the sessions at the doctor with all the traditional solutions or traditional... So it's interesting you bring costs because I was actually leading to costs with the prior question. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that a big reason um, people don't invest in prosthetic arms is the price point. So given the fact that one would need to buy a VR headset, which is not cheap, in addition to a bionic arm, I was wondering if that would increase the overall cost of being fitted for an arm. And if there was a cheaper way to, let's say, bypass having that VR kid, if the, sorry, the VR kit, if you as a family cannot afford it. The price of a prosthetic is already expensive without calculating the fitting uh, expenses or costs. So we're talking about at least, so in Tunisia, the cheapest prosthetic can cost around 15,000 US dollar. And you'll be, uh, you will need to wait for one, two, three months to bring it from abroad and to fit it. That's, uh, without talking about the, the therapy, because that's an, another like section or another part of the, the whole operation. So for us, we are estimating our price after some uh, consultancy with Deloitte to be around 2,500, 3,000 US dollars, which is very accessible compared to what's in the market. It's not going to be cheap or say affordable to everyone. There is nothing that is affordable to everyone in the end of the day. Even with $100, there, mm. people, there are people are living like under the, 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 the $1 per day. So we can never give something that fits with everybody all, all over the world. But 
at least we are extending our, let's say, our target population, offering something more accessible, more customizable, also easy to have, easy to use, and you can get it in just one week. So you get the measurements, you get all the all the 3D printing, assembling and everything, and all of that in one week. So do patients in Tunis get it in a week or patients anywhere in the world? I'm curious where you distribute. So for now, actually, as I told you, we are not uh, publicly in the market. We are just in the beta stage. So we are having, let's say, medical trials with the community of people with some differences. The idea is in Tunisia, it's one week, but also abroad, it's going to be one week. So we said in order, in order to, uh, to expand our idea or our solutions, we will be having local partners. For example, I, I, I come to Bahrain. There is a big clinic or there is like an international organization doing a medical or healthcare activity. I equip them with a 3D printer of the same quality that we have here. We equip them with the, the tablet, with all the software of the automated, let's say, process, and with some uh, components that cannot be built in Bahrain or whatever. Oh, interesting. So you can also supply people with the equipment required for them to produce the bionic arms that are your IP. You don't necessarily need to manufacture them in Tunis and export them. Is that correct? Yes, that's the idea here because we want someone, wherever they are, whenever they want, to have a prosthetic next to them. Also, we think that this product, that's not like a mobile phone, but you can wait till it's repaired. It's a hand. So if it's broken and you need to, to send it to Tunisia to be fixed, all the customs, all the waiting time. So it's a long time with no, like, with no hands. Some people are missing two hands or four limbs. So having someone next to them to do all the repairment, the aftersays, to do all the fitting, also for the customized covers. We have customized covers that can be continuously changed for the prosthetics. So you can remove them. For, for example, today I'm having a superhero design cover. Tomorrow I'm wearing a white or a red t-shirt, a red dress. I can have a red cover and stack it to my prosthetic. So that's our idea here. We will be equipped people in those target countries with the needed equipment, we will train them and they will be doing all what we do, but they will not be seeing what we do exactly because the software will be, uh, it's like an automated software. They will be taking data, doing the scans, uh, adjusting some parameters, and then there is a file in the end that will be sent automatically to the 3D printer so they cannot see anything. And that's to protect our, our IP and our creation. But that idea here is like decentralizing this process of manufacturing. So everyone can create the prosthetic in those countries and we can impact more people through this process instead of having all the big manufacturing unit in Tunisia, doing all the scans, sending them, then doing the, the, the like, uh, send it back to, to that country. And then if something is bad, you have to send it back to Tunisia. It's like an endless process and a very complicated and costly process. So all the all that transfer of the prosthetic can cost a lot of money for us and for the user. So I've been reading about 3D printing technology being used in an array of applications in the medical world, from eyes to dental aligners. Uh, I'm curious, Mohamed, was there much innovation you had to put into developing your IP when it came to the way you use 3D printing to produce your product or... 
was it is is utilizing 3D printing for prosthetics something common around the world? So actually, the the process or the the, the manufacturing technology of 3D printing is something that is democratized now. So everyone can have a 3D printer at home and that can create whatever they want. Even you, you can create like anything without the the knowledge, without needing all that knowledge. However, as a startup or as a young startup with limited resources, we cannot innovate in all the levels. So there are like some priorities uh, which are more related to the to the electronics or the algorithm. And in the future, we have plans to innovate in the bioprinting, let's say. There is like, we can bioprint organs of the body, we can bioprint skin, we can even have like the, the hardware of the prosthetic adapted to the, to the skin, uh, let's say, uh, specificities. So what is 3D bioprinting? I've actually looked into it a little bit. From what I understand, it's the creation of cells. Am I correct? Or is it more extensive? Yeah, actually, there is uh, this technology and it, it has like four dimensions instead of three dimensions. There is like X, Y, and Z, and the fourth dimension is the cells. So the cells are multiplying. They're like you 3D print the cell uh, instead of the raw material, the PLA, whatever. So you 3D print a living cell, and they start to multiply, and they start. So you give them more time to multiply and to, to, to stick to each other to build, for example, the skin of a human, a human body. It's mainly about including uh, the cells instead of, it's, it's the raw material. The cells are the new raw material and you have time, you give them time to multiply. So this industry is still not very developed because it's still a lot of, let's say, lab testing about the adaptability with the body, about if the body can accept some strange foreign substances. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. There is a problem with the, in this level, but I guess there is a lot of university and uh, labs in the world that are doing well in this level. I mean, Mohammed, I've even been reading that some companies are experimenting with 3D printed food like meat. So KFC apparently is investing in 3D produced chicken, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of uh, finding the fibers or discovering what's the fiber of the cells of that material. And then using that instead of the, the casual raw material. So we mainly know plastic as the raw material. And instead of that, they will be replacing that raw material with uh, those cells or fibers and creating whatever they want with 3D printing. So the main feature of 3D printing is that you create whatever you imagine. Who produces the 3D printing technology to begin with? Other engineers? I don't have like very precise information, but... It was like one of the technologies that, that was found for a need whenever it started to create something personalized because creating or prototyping, it was mainly for prototyping. So if you want to prototype, like 20 years ago, you'll be losing a lot of money to, to have that traditional like manufacturing processes. So strange. I'm a big fan of things being organically produced and made, but at least that's when it comes to food. Um, I think that applying it to the medical world is extremely interesting. More importantly, I think that utilization of VR in the medical world 
is also interesting. Because when I think VR, I think gaming and the entertainment industry. But I loved how you also kind of married the two. You said, hey, we can use VR in rehabilitation, but give it a twist of gaming. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, actually, it's called Series Games as a concept. So it's mixing the games with something with another field. So it's Series Games in education, it's Series Games in healthcare, it's Series Games in uh, like Space World now. So that need was really inspired from that, that same boy that I visited in that hospital because he was traumatized and he was not even accepting to think about the prosthetic. He was asking them to give him back his hand. And there is nothing that can replace the reality, but only the virtual. That's the only place that we can see things that we want, but we can't have in real life. Well, I must say today's conversation has been a little bit outside my comfort zone. I'm not too familiar with the advancements in health tech. So as much as I enjoyed researching to be able to ask you some good questions today, but I also equally really enjoyed our conversation. And thank you very much for the wonderful insights, Mohammed. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the time and effort. I wish you a great day. My pleasure, Mohammed. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshireen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.